until we suffer, we don't change. You know, we need the pain to, in order to make real lasting changes. And that was my, my story too. It became pretty clear that I was the one causing these things purely with my, my interpretation of the world. And that's confronting to think that you had caused yourself that much harm through thinking. We stand today. This is Method with method. a shadow. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their online and location-independent business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses and we are getting behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build businesses like this. On top of that, we also gather entrepreneurs at events and retreats around the world. This October, we are having our annual event in Thailand. Get shit done live. It's 10 days of high performance productivity, targeted collaboration, and rapid execution designed for entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done in a little amount of time. Some say it's like 10 months of work in 10 days. There's a magic that happens when brilliant minds come together to push one another towards productive execution. That is exactly what this retreat is about. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That is thebusinessmethod.com. Now, let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. Hey listeners, welcome back to the show. Today is the last part of Yarrow Stark's interview. Today we talk about the best networking hack ever, the difference between the five, six, and seven-figure entrepreneurial mentalities, creating a bulletproof positive mentality, and achieving email freedom. Now, let's jump back into the show. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. You know, I've been studying recently um, more and more the importance and like the science of being a good networker and um, throughout your career you've connected with some amazing entrepreneurs and the list you know we could just you know list tons of them even on your podcast I'm curious throughout your time as an entrepreneur um, what what has been the most important lessons you have learned in networking and then keeping and maintaining those relationships over long term I have to say the greatest hack for networking is podcasting. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know this very well. Yes. <laughs> podcasting is the best way to get quality time with a person you want to talk to because yeah. they and to make it even better, they get to talk about themselves the whole time as I'm doing now. So they love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, so I think that is by far the like I've met more people through my podcast, and, and I should say I've met more people who have actually formed some kind of connection with uh, through podcasting. Yes, you know networking events and conferences have often been great for me as well, but it, it it's not just the conference itself. This is what has been interesting for me. As a content producer, you do start to build an audience. You know, in my case, it was writing blog posts, and then later on not much later was recording podcasts and really blog blogging and writing a free report and being involved in a space for a long period of time means you 
you get essentially awareness. Like this is something that is such a powerful tool for anything to do with, with business or, or even life in general. Um, this is why I always encourage people to build some kind of platform online, even if you're not sure where it's going, because it leads to relationships and people just have an awareness that you exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's great if you can do that and stand for something, because then your message can be on point as well as you you know create your content. But I, I go to conferences and people will come up to me and say, oh, I read your blog back when I was just getting started or, or just recently or whatever it is. And that just makes it so much easier for me to begin that relationship as well. Like I don't have to necessarily, um, I mean, some people, yes, that not everyone on the planet's gonna read your blog or listen to your podcast or watch your YouTube channel or whatever it is you're doing, right? But it's a major door opener uh, to get started. And even if they don't watch your stuff, by simply approaching them and saying, hey, I, I do this, I have this blog, I have this podcast, I have this YouTube channel, et cetera. And you say, oh, I've already had um, the CEO of AWeber uh, Tim Ferriss and Lewis Howes on the show. So, you know, they, they, they kind of social proof vet you, which makes it easier for you to then get mm-hmm. a door open to someone else. So that's been massive. Um, for me, though, it's it's more than just networking for the sake of networking. Often it's it's because I've, you know, I found a customer that way or a customer has gone and done something and then they come back to me years later and said, I took your course and now I've, I built this and then I get them on my podcast and they become a case study. So it's all kind of interlinked, that whole timeline of relationships where you meet someone at the beginning, then you meet them when they're successful and it can be an ongoing relationship. Um, plus partnerships too, like um, a lot of you know opportunities come because you just gel with a person you meet at an event on a podcast. Um, you know, I remember when I uh, was sort of writing a blog kind of 2007, eight, nine, that was that golden era of uh, product launches, uh, internet marketing. Everyone had a course, everyone had a piece of software and everyone was doing a launch or something like that. And my blog had this um, wonderful side benefit that I'd never even considered before. But because I would occasionally promote these launches, I'd mention the name of the person doing the launch. So Mike Phil Sames, Butterfly Marketing, Rich Seffrin's Internet Business Manifesto, and then within a couple of weeks afterwards, you Google for Rich Sheffrin and I'm in the top three results, sometimes the number one result. And as you can imagine, we all do the vanity uh, ego search <laughs> for our own name, right? To see mm-hmm. what's ranking for our full name. And then there'd be this long-haired blogger guy writing Entrepreneur's Journey <laughs> ranking for Rich Sheffrin or Mike Filsame. So I remember, and these guys, to be fair, they, they have huge audiences. So if you can get into their inner circle, certainly back then I was very excited about that option to possibly do like a, an affiliate promotion where they promote my stuff. So I remember the first time I went to uh, Rich Sheffern's conference and I'm walking down this, uh, the corridor and I bump into Mike Fulsame and I introduce myself and he goes, yeah, I know you, 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 you have my, my name, you own my name <laughs> on the internet, right? And I was like, wow, this is so powerful. Like talk about awareness creation. So from that point forward, I was like, this is like, I can understand why journalists have so much power over mm-hmm. people because you write something on a major publication and you control the conversation about a person. So I could literally, I, there were a few times where people annoyed me. I thought, man, I could just write a blog post about how bad this person is and it'll rank number one for them and they'll have to come back and apologize <laughs> to, to get me to take down that blog post. Never happened, but um, I, did, I did feel that, that that power was there. Plus, on the flip side, if you, know, you want to get attention of someone, you can write something or a couple of things about them. 
and uh, potentially rank really well for their name. Harder now to do that. Like my site won't automatically rank number one because everyone's so much better at owning their platforms, but um, it's still effective. Yeah. Yeah. There's one thing that I've always chased more than money and that's uh, influence. And, and I see it, I don't know why I just see it as a currency that's much more valuable than, than a, a physical currency because if you always have that influence, no matter if you have those high times or low times, um, you can recreate cr- money, right, and recreate mm-hmm. a lifestyle. Um, and that's a powerful thing. That's uh, you know, and I, I didn't think of that when I started podcasting. I just wanted to share great stories, but then I started seeing those results. And and um, one of my favorite stories is is I had um, have you ever heard of the Squatty Potty? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So I had the founder of the Squatty Potty on a, um, one of my earlier po- earliest podcasts, um, and I was recording it outside of a co working space in Rio de Janeiro in an alley, you know. And <laughs> he had just get gotten off the View, which is like the U.S. female talk show, number one female yep. talk show. And he had just get, gotten off the View, and he hops online with me. And I thought this microphone, right then in that moment, I thought this microphone has the power to 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 make a huge difference, but influence so many people. And and I was blown away by that. But yeah, it's a it's a really 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 powerful thing. Okay, so um, I I want to ask you real quick in regards to so the series of podcasts that we're doing now is 107 figure location independent entrepreneurs and we're probably um about 80 episodes in or so and i'm curious from your experience what's the difference in the um, mentalities between being a five-figure location independent entrepreneur a six-figure location independent entrepreneur and a seven-figure location independent entrepreneur Ooh, well, five figures, you're, you're obviously just getting started and you're probably quite excited because you're, I mean, when you say that, I'm assuming you're, you're kind of making five figures a year or five, I don't, I'm not sure what yeah, the five, strict definitions of these terms are. Yeah. 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 So, um, I know like, and I, I obviously went through this progression. We all kind of do unless you jump and skip a few of the steps, which is not, sometimes happens, but it's quite rare. And I went from, you know, a thousand dollar a month e-commerce store to then a, a salary level income from a, an editing company to six figures with my blogging business and then you know over time the seven figures start piled up in the bank accounts as well so i i can i know and this is just obvious the the first goal is always cash you know to get to five figures is a big deal to get to a dollar is a big deal so there's a there's a type of mentality there that I hate to say it is an element of desperation frequently there as well mm-hmm. depending on where you're coming from, you know I'll, you know to be fair I'm assuming this is the first time you're trying to get to that point because I've got a new business and we're we're just about to hit the six figure mark and it doesn't feel nearly the same as the first time I hit six figures <laughs> with my my blogging business because that was the first time I ever did it right, but um at five figures you're covering probably just no, well, nothing. You know, you probably maybe you can cover your rent, but you might have a part-time job. You're you're probably not location independent. You could potentially, you know, jump into lifestyle in, in Thailand or Bali or or Ukraine, for example, where yes, a thousand dollars a month will be enough to survive. I know I could. I basically did live off a thousand dollars a month while I was in Ukraine, just because everything's so much cheaper. Um, so that's, it, it gives you the taste of the freedom, but you're really hungry for more. And I know that's how I felt about it. And that's why I, I 
know, kept started a second business, invested in more businesses, just trying to grow that consistent passive income stream or or leveraged income stream. Um, and then when you get to six figures, you actually start saving money. So depending how you live, of course, some people live to their means. And once you hit six figures, you'll just start spending more money on other things that you don't really need. In my case, it just meant I could actually start putting some capital away because I did want to buy my first property and, and um, you know, get my own place and uh, things like that. Even just to rent, you know, get away from the, the caravan in the backyard of my mom's house or <laughs> I then I had my own room. But so, uh, yeah, and then I think there's it's not just getting to five figures, six figures and seven figures. It's also how much margin is there with the business? How much are you putting away? How are you living your life? Because I went through a company where I had very little margin and very little revenue with my my e-commerce business. Yeah, I made a thousand dollars. A lot of that was because of advertising revenue. At least half of it would have been advertising because that's a hundred percent profit margin. I might have sold three thousand, four thousand dollars worth of cards, but I kept ten percent or twenty percent at best on margin. Then with uh, my editing company, margins are better because it's a virtual service. But I still have to pay my contractors half of the revenue, and then there's additional expenses. So I'm taking home. 30%, 35%, maybe 40%. And then you get into digital products and suddenly you're keeping 100% of the revenue and your expenses fluctuate based on how much you want to grow. So I've, I've had periods where I've had 70% margins, 80% margins with that business all the way down to 30% if I'm hiring a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of my team to keep growing the next level. And uh, I remember when I, I did hit, hit that six-figure mark with, my blogging business in particular selling a course for the next three or four years i went from making one hundred fifty thousand a year then half a million and then half a million again and i had a very small team it was amazing it was me a tech person an email customer support person uh, and then a couple of you know very small contracting roles here and there but essentially it was me and two other people and that meant for really small expenses so I, I, I was pocketing a good chunk of that that revenue and then giving it to the tax man of course in down in australia <laughs> <laughs> big big taxes in australia so um but still it made me go wow like uh like i remember in fact for me it's not even about five six or seven figures i had one goal which i think is still the most milestone goal for me and I, I always remember it because you want to talk about law of attraction this was probably one of the best examples i can give of manifesting an intention you set uh, during the early days because back when i was just getting started with my essay editing company and i was you know really i was still living with my mom i didn't have much money i had this conversation i remember it clearly because i was sitting on a, a park bench with a friend of mine who was working a normal job she was a secretary for a japanese language school and she was earning oh, forty thousand a year probably maybe less 30 maybe thirty-five thousand a year and i was doing the math and she was making a, a somewhere between probably 500 a, a week minus taxes and she was she was happy she was you know young things were in the future for her so she wasn't like seeing that as a career and I was there going I can't even make my, that much money and I'm only just starting to get close to that kind of $500 a week level that would be a, a big goal <laughs> to kind of get to that <laughs> level but in my mind I'm going that's not what I want to get to I was like a thousand dollars a day 
That's what I'd like to make. $1,000 a day seemed like a tremendous amount of money. First of all, I couldn't spend it because uh, I you know, looked at my grocery bills and my expenses <laughs> and I'd probably push myself to spend $200 a day uh, if I was renting and living living life lavishly, right? Uh, obviously, if you want to start traveling, you've got to factor in a few extra things like flights and so forth. But to me, $1,000 a day seemed like a ton of money. And then fast forward, literally probably six, seven eight years later when I looked over my tax records and the aggregate was 30,000 a month. And I was like, that's $1,000 a day. And in particular, that was US dollars too, so it was a little bit extra for living in Australia. And I was going, and obviously there were so many years in between that, that my attitude had changed, my mindset had changed. I'd learned so much from going through all these different businesses, but I saw that number and I was like, yeah, this, I'm living what I wanted, first of all, which is huge. But second of all, I was like, this really is a sweet spot because it gives you freedom. Like, that's freedom. To me, before then, even even at $10,000 a month, which is a great place to be, I, I, I think everyone should get there because then you are basically free. You're just not baller free kind of thing. And then of course you've got, you know, hundred thousand a month and you've got a million a month and people really want to get to the, the F you money stage, of course, <laughs> of, of flying jets and, and, you know, Instagram, Ferrari, you know, Ty Lopez type <laughs> photographs and stuff like that. Right. Not everyone wants to do that, but it's always a, a, a ideal that society presents to us, unfortunately on too much social media. Right. Mm-hmm. But for me at 30,000 a month, I was like, I was able to support my mom and dad a little bit. I was able to give to charities. If I saw I wanted to buy something, I didn't think about it. I just bought it. You know, I didn't have to go and try and find the cheapest version of it or, you know, spend a couple of days looking for it. I would just buy it at the restaurant. I didn't look at the prices on the menus anymore. I still don't really do that. And it was it was nice to be at that point. Sure, there was bigger purchases. You don't buy houses or new cars all the time. That was still a a special purchase. Like I eventually I bought a BMW and the luxury car tax in Australia is ridiculous. So it <laughs> costs so much money to buy that kind of car there when it shouldn't. And I've seen it now in Canada. The car the same car would cost fifty percent less here than it does in Australia. But anyway, I bought myself a nice car. You know, I bought myself an inner city bachelor pad apartment, eventually all these things. But it's really that level of a thousand dollars a day, thirty thousand a month, where you can do anything that most society on this planet will permit you know you, you, you're not going to go into the the you know the billion dollar level but you're you you can fly first class if you want to spend your money that way I, I didn't back then sometimes i do now because you get points but whatever um but it really was uh that's where i felt free and that to me was always the goal uh, and i still feel like that level is a really important level um to be at uh, it, and 10,000 a month is really, really good. And I don't want to, I think they, they say like happiness once you reach six figures really doesn't increase much at, at greater levels. And I would agree with that because I think at 10,000 a month, I still could do everything I wanted to do. I just had to be a little bit more thrifty. You know, you can't be quite mm-hmm. as crazy. But at 30,000 a month, suddenly uh, any purchase most of the time, and you have to be careful because I, I, by nature, I guess maybe the way I was raised, I don't know. I just don't like to hoard things. I know there's people, once they do make 30000 a month, suddenly they're buying every gadget they can. They've got three cars. They've got, you know, mountain bikes, ro- ro- racing bike. Um, 
six computers, you know, five televisions, <laughs> just mm-hmm. subscription to every single thing they can get. That's the, that's the danger, right? What's your personality? How do you spend money? So anyone can be broke at any income level simply because of their habits and behaviors. But I do feel to break free, 10000 a month is, is a, a really good goal to have. And that's what I always promoted to all my coaching students. I always said how to blog two hours a day to make 10000 a month. That was the, the main big goal to aim for. Uh, now, you mentioned um, doing some visualization and the law of attraction, I think you said. And I'm curious, is this as like a, a meditation practice that you did back then that kind of led to that? Or is it just kind of dreams daydreams that you had in the back of your mind when i thought about that visualization or whatever you're going to call it just decided it was an exciting idea a thousand dollars a day i certainly was not aware of uh, the law of attraction or intention manifestation i probably had read uh think and grow rich by then maybe can't remember um that's obviously the foundation book for a lot of the 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 money movement of of intention manifestation law of attraction the secret and so on so yeah i mean over the years i've certainly been very uh, interested in that topic especially when the secret came out in particular because it was such a good marketing tool for for that idea um but and this is the thing that i think like I love that idea because it uh, it forces you to get your mind on your own team. And some people, that's meditation as well. You know, uh, I, I know a lot of people, meditation is important simply because they're so busy in their brain. They just need that kind of dull switch just to calm things down. <laughs> I, I've been there too. I know in my 20s, maybe like you experienced earlier this morning, I'd wake up or mm-hmm. I, I couldn't get to sleep and I literally just had to go and I'd do a brain dump into a document to get all the ideas out because I was too busy being an entrepreneur. I could do this, I could do this, I could do this, you know, and, and they're just, I was getting too much adrenaline from it and couldn't sleep. Nowadays, I, I don't really have that and I, I still certainly believe in, in the intention process, but I actually think intention is great, but I really think the daily positivity has been way more impactful to me because I came from a place of daily negativity when it came to mindset. Mm. And you don't really appreciate it. If, you're, if uh, you know, I studied optimism and, or learned optimism, Martin Seligman's got, he's sort of the father of uh, modern day positive psychology. And there's a lot of studies out there on, and we see it daily now on Facebook. You can see, you know, these little psychology uh, case studies float up and down. They talk about the power of positive thinking and the reverse, what happens with negative thinking and so on. So I studied a lot of that in my early 20s from a a necessity to break some very bad thought habits. I, I was to the point where I had panic attacks because I was essentially beating myself up mentally every day with the way I was interpreting the world around me. So I had to get to the point where I was actually causing my body to be afraid for its security because of the way I thought. Mm. That was a big eye opener for me. So that then led to, okay, I need to re-engineer my my viewpoint of how I interpret the world first to get on my own team, to get on my own side. So that was the start of learning about positive psychology, reframing, um, telling myself better stories, interpreting the world in a way that's beneficial for what I want. And that took a good couple of years to really re-engineer and rewire the way I was thinking. Now, I did that back then for self-preservation, to stop having panic attacks, to deal with anxiety. 
but it was amazing because it gave me a tool set that then became applicable to everything that came after it. Like, you know, you can start a business and have a bad day easily. You know, you can get a refund or cancellation and that could lead to a, a negative spiral of I'm never going to be successful. This business will never work. But if you build the, the positivity muscle in your brain, it becomes a temporary condition, a learning experience, and then you're back on track to getting your next customer. And that, that is something that takes, well, at least in my case, because I had a default negative. I was a pessimist by trade in terms of my <laughs> thoughts. I had to re-engineer that, re, re, really develop a new muscle. And that took some time. And I still leverage it today. I, I really, I'm a, People always think I'm very positive, and I definitely default now to much more positive things. I think any success I've had over the years is very much born from that change in mindset I had back then. And simply thinking positive and reacting positive, reframing positive, forces you to create intentions that are positive too. So if you want to believe in some kind of universal force that's aligning to the way you think about the world, simply choosing to be a positive person will activate that idea anyway. So it's kind of all wrapped in uh, together. But for me, uh, I like the practical. I love the spiritual. Well, it's fun to think about. There's a universal structure that's reinforcing this. But from a practical standpoint, too, it just made so much more sense that something bad happens and you decide that's always going to be bad. You're going to feel bad all the time, too. So let's let's get on your own team. And that was a huge thing for me. Did you have like a daily process that you would do to help you start to become more positive because that's you know i i work on that too and that's easier said than done and we all know negative people like it's it's damn hard to change their mind right and to get them mm. um to look in a positive light even though a lot of times they think they are being positive so i'm curious like what what helped you what daily process or um strategy or method helped you become that positive person well, I couldn't have even started it if I hadn't got myself to the point where I was having panic attacks. You know, you, you need to suffer sometimes greatly. Uh, as, as is often said about the individual as well as us as a global species, until we suffer, we don't change. It's, it's kind of sad to think that that's necessary, but it seems to be the case. You know, we need the pain to, in order to make real lasting changes. And that was my, my story too. I you know, spent many years, I guess, as a teenager leading up to my early 20s, uh, reinforcing negative thought patterns by default. And that became habitual. And then eventually it erupted in actual physical symptoms. You know, when you when you sit on the back of the bus and your body starts freaking out, your heart rate goes up, you start sweating, you feel like you're a, an animal about to be attacked and there's nothing, you're just in the back of a bus. You're like, okay, this is not good. Something's wrong. And then when you learn uh, that panic attacks are ultimately, uh, obviously, you know, everyone wants to get their own kind of conclusion here medically, but it became pretty clear that I was the one causing these things purely with my, my interpretation of the world. And that's confronting to think that you had caused yourself that much harm through thinking. Like I could correlate harm through smoking a cigarette. That's obvious. If someone's making that choice or, you know, eating nothing but unhealthy foods, it's really uh, an obvious self-harm that you're doing. I never correlated mental health as a form of self-harm until I actually hit, hit the rock bottom of that with, with panic attacks in my case. So 
it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have gone through the, the I wouldn't have had the, the made the choice or had the awareness. And I think that's the challenge because you can see people who are negative. You, you can understand people who are angry. And until they decide that they want to change, nothing you can do will actually change them. The best thing you can do, don't try and change them. Just be a representation of the, the thing that they might want to change into eventually. So, you know, be a positive person around the negative person. And maybe some of it will rub off eventually, you know. <laughs> but in my case, panic attacks were the starting point. And it, it didn't, like, I didn't, um, yeah, I tried meditation at one point. Uh, I, you know, I went to yoga classes. And I, I love all those things. But that wasn't what ultimately helped me. I'm, I'm pretty a rash, a, a pretty rational, logical person. So what I started, it was a very basic mental practice. I became or did my best to become self-aware of my thought process. That in itself was the first daily practice. It, it was to realize that there's an observer of my thought process. I could actually step back and watch myself think, which is kind of weird to think about, but you can do that. You can realize and catch yourself thinking about things. And that's what I started doing. So I'm walking around my university campus and I'm reinterpreting all these events. And usually you're kind of in your thoughts, but it, because I activated this idea that I have to start monitoring my thoughts, I would start catching myself. Sometimes it would take hours. I, I could fall down a pit of negative reinforcing thought patterns that I get caught in. You know, I'm in a lecture theater. Uh, there's a girl who looks at me and looks away. Oh, she thinks I'm unattractive. Oh, all women think I'm unattractive. <laughs> oh, um, women only like guys who have money. I've got no money. You know, all, and just down, 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 down <laughs> to this kind of pit. <laughs> and then I'd catch myself because I knew that this is what's causing the, the, the situation I'm in. And I'd have to essentially go stop, like it's a mental slap sometimes in, in, your, in your mind, and then go, what's a better con construction for this idea than what you're currently doing, you know? Okay, the girl who just looked at you might be looking at you because she's attracted to you. <laughs> uh, you know, you're in university and uh, you're going to graduate and then you're going to make money and you're gonna find something you enjoy doing. You know, and just start telling myself these better stories. And that would be the, the practice. It would be every single day reconstructing my interpretation of the events I'm living and my thoughts about the future and the past. You know, really important actually to, to project positive future and start looking at your past. You know, either ignore the things you know that are not helpful or reinterpret the things that are you know, potentially bad in inverted quotes as a growth experience to, to do something different, you know, uh, learn from the, the things you don't like in your past. So that's what I did. And that was a two year going to the gym, the mental gym process <laughs> to eventually cure myself of panic attacks and walk out there with this, you know, bulging positivity uh, mindset muscle, which was then put to very good use as an entrepreneur for the next probably 10 years as well. Because being an entrepreneur, boy, you have to like, you face a lot of negatives or easy to interpret negatively situations on a daily basis sometimes, <laughs> you know. So you have to be very strong in that mindset. And that's actually what I really wish everyone would study first. I have a product on mindset and productivity. And I feel like if people don't get that muscle built, no amount of learning tactics or having a great strategy or business model will work because as soon as you get a sign of failure, you'll just give up and that's it. You'll fail. So it's right. really important. 
That's a really great thorough description of on how to work on positive mentality because I don't think people analyze it that often, you know. They just say, oh, I'm going to try to be positive. Well, what does that mean? And really the best hack out there, I think, is to be around other positive people, but to sit in and go deep into your mental process and examine it on a regular basis. Like, I don't think a lot of people do that. So that's a great description. So thank you for that. Um, so we'll do one more thing and then we'll get you out of here. Your new project, your new business, inboxdone.com. Um, that's what you've got going on. Tell us about it. Right. Yes. <laughs> so we call all kinds of topics here, Chris, all over the place. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm not sure if we can go from panic attacks into email. We can. We can. <laughs> it's an interesting okay. segue, but <laughs> they're all, they're related yeah. somehow. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they are. I mean, yeah. too much email can give you a panic attack. <laughs> so true. So true. Um, yeah. I mean, as I told in my story, there was this moment when, like, my goal was always freedom, and to get that email was the final stumbling block. I, I didn't even really realize it because we, we, we naturally think of email as just something we personally do. In fact, a lot of us are addicted to it. I know I got addicted to it because I'd see a potential customer come in or a sale when I'd make an affiliate sale come in. Uh, I'd want to control that aspect. That's my world. That's only I can do it. And that's what's important. And then I finally realized that, no, I could hire someone who could actually do a better job and they could come up with systems and templates and dynamic follow-up processes to handle all these emails. And that would give me the freedom possibly to do other things in my life or just to focus on the most important tasks in my business. Because frequently people are doing sort of busy work that doesn't take their, their business or their life forward in their inbox when they'd rather be creating a product, coming up with a marketing campaign, spending time with their family or friends, you know, traveling, playing the guitar, you know, working on your hobby or your, your passion, whatever it is. But instead, you're in your inbox, filing away newsletters, uh, deleting spam messages, replying to, you know, basic emails like, how do I download this PDF? All these kind of stuff that just doesn't really need to be done by you as the creative genius who started this business or you're working a job or whatever it is that you get email for. So, um, for me, it was 12 years ago when I first realized this and outsourced my email for the first time. It was groundbreaking because it gave me that freedom. From that point onwards, every business I had always had someone do my email. So when I started my blogging business, I actually brought the same person from my editing company to do my email. Then we hired a, actually a second person. At one point, I had three people when my my teaching business was really busy managing my email because I wanted 24-hour coverage. Because it's kind of, it, for some people, it's a customer service role. All my customer service happens in the inbox. So it it's, could be personal, it could be business, it could be both. And then a couple of years ago, I started, um, well, I, I've, I've been speaking at meetups and conferences uh, on and off over the years. But a couple of years ago, I actually started mentioning that I haven't handled my email in over a decade. And I'd, I'd get entrepreneurs coming up to me saying, can you explain what that means? I don't understand how you can have someone else handle your email, right? And it's funny because we outsource everything else, right? We, mm -hmm. I mean, Tim Ferriss in the 4-Hour Work Week made the idea of outsourcing your dating life even possible. Yeah, you can outsource online dating. You can outsource buying your groceries. You can outsource building your website. Why don't we outsource doing the email as well? So uh, I decided finally that this is a service that's worth testing. So we launched a company called inboxdone.com 
I actually partnered with uh, Claire, who runs my inbox, a natural partner. She she actually knows all the systems. She understands what it takes to run someone else's inbox. So she was a natural uh, co-founder to partner with. So we took on our first couple of clients uh, over well last year, and, and we've been growing uh, ever since. We only take on a, a couple of clients every month because it's a fairly tailored service. So you know we want to go in, we want to learn about your email. You want to learn about your voice, your style, uh, how to reply to things, you know, build some systems, build some templates, and then look at what we could do even proactively potentially to bring in more customers or reduce your, your refunds and, and cancellations. Um, but it can be even simple things like, you know, managing your calendars or one of the things that I love, which you might like, Chris, is podcasts because occasionally I'll get in, you know, invited to be a guest on a podcast as I'm doing now with you. And one of the things over the years I realized I had to be a little bit sort of picky with my podcast choices because some people, you know, you can tell their their podcast may not even exist yet. And I had to pick and choose. So my email team would actually start a dialogue. So someone would email in requesting me to be on a podcast. They'd email back asking you know, what's uh, what's your show about, how, what's your downloads, just a little bit of vetting to make sure they're a serious podcaster. Mm-hmm. Then they uh, say, okay, yes, you're, you're serious, please book into my calendar then. So that whole process would be systematized and handled by my email person, and I would just see the entry in my calendar, knowing that this is a podcast that's going to be, you know, worth my time doing. Uh, obviously, in our case, we connected through a mutual friend, so that's kind of like the process right there uh if you're terrible i'd be angry at james right so that's how <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah and it's been great um it's amazing as i said to you i think off air this is a it's like when people have a headache and i'm selling the pill because when you have too much email <clears throat> you get up in the morning early or you go to bed and you spend two hours when you rather be reading a book or sleeping or spending time with your kids or your wife or your husband and you're stuck doing email for whatever it is, your business or your job. And we can take that that pain away with uh, essentially a person who steps in and handles your email for you, a dedicated inbox manager. So uh, I'm, I'm loving promoting inboxdone.com and, and working with our clients. I like that. I'm going to check that out because I have email problems and I need to fix them. <laughs> and they cause me a lot of stress. <laughs> um, Love to help. Yaro, man, I have to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing all your tips and tricks and all your wisdom with us. You have a wealth of information, and I really appreciate you uh, just giving your time, extended time today. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they could do that at? Everything now is at uh, uh, yarrow.blog or even just Google Yarrow, Y-A-R-O. But yarrow.blog is the, the blog, the podcast. Everything's there. Awesome. And again, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I, uh, and I promise I'll do, uh, do, good, do you justice and do James justice and, and make a good show for you guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad you stayed awake, Chris. That's, that's the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was easy though. It was very easy. Um, so we're going to wrap up there. Thank you again. And listeners, thank you guys for joining us once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. 
Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our annual Get Shit Done live retreat in Thailand. Both are designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done rapidly and whether you need some personal coaching while working away at home or a retreat in Thailand where you can get out of your normal routine and surround yourself with other successful entrepreneurs, we have those options for you. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com and we'll see you on the next podcast.